Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My guest today is Don Monastere, CEO and president of General Informatics. Don, welcome. Thank you, Carol. You said my name very, very well. I got to give you <laughs> for that. <laughs> I seem to get that a lot and I'm not sure why. <laughs> Um, tell me, what does General Informatics do? Uh, so General Informatics, in a nutshell, is a managed services provider for the IT space. And all that really means is we help companies deal with their, their information technology or their technology. So anything to do with phones, computers, servers, uh, you name it, line of business applications, um, we're there, there to help monitor, maintain it make sure that they're using it as efficiently as possible and, and doing it in, you know, in a very value-add way, meaning how can we allow them to help impact their business with their technology? So that's our focus. So when you say how, how can we help them impact their business technology, can you, can you dig into that a little bit more? Absolutely. In sort, of, Absolutely. in sort of lay terms? Yeah, so a lot of times my conversations very rarely go towards actual technology. It's more about business outcomes. So. I may have a conversation with a business where they say, hey, I've got I've got 30 remote workers now and I need to make sure that I can efficiently get them connected into our data. And so our line of business application may not be very cloud friendly. So how can we set that up in our system so that my users can get to it? And we will devise and design a way so that they can do that efficiently and, and very mm-hmm. effectively and then implement that and then maintain it as we go forward. So. Really, it's more about you know business outcomes than it is technology. But technology ends up being the result of what we mm-hmm. use to get there. Are you selling technology, or are you just providing a service as an MSP that so, helps them deal with their technology better? Yeah, so really both. So you know, it, it all depends on what that use case is for the individual. Generally speaking, generally speaking, our target customer base wants to outsource their entire IT operation. So a lot of times I've become their outsourced IT department. So um, in, in many cases, we have uh, consultants who act as their virtual CIO. So oftentimes we're actually at the strategic table every quarter in their board meetings, talking to them about mm-hmm. you know where their technology is going and, and how we can better utilize uh, the various services that either we provide or for that matter, other vendors provide. So. Um, we're fairly technology agnostic. If um, if there's a specific product and or service that will help the client, we we want to make that recommendation and make sure that we're um, kind of shepherding that into their environment so that they can continue to innovate the products and services that they have. Mm-hmm. And and you say you know people kind of you know, they think of us as their outsourced CIO. Would you say that's the biggest problem that you solve for your clients? Yeah, uh, probably not the biggest problem, but definitely something that that. Um, that they get to enjoy as part of uh, our service. In fact, the virtual CIO um, uh, service, if you will, is not something that we charge for. It just comes with our management and, and maintenance. So 
if someone were to come and be a part of what we call our um, total care package, where we come in and, and outsource the entire environment, you get one of our um, virtual CIOs to come in and start working with you directly on just strategically how do you best utilize your technology. And that includes, by the way, not just you know the the desktop or um, you know it's desktop computers, phone, video, every all the technology that an office uses. We're we're definitely involved in helping them you know utilize that to better their products and services as well. So, what is the biggest problem that you solve for your clients? Uh, security, as you can imagine, <laughs> you know we can't we can't uh, we can't have a conversation without having conversations about how we can reduce the risk that is um, you know the cybersecurity issues that we see of today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a little bit more complex than most people imagine because a lot of the conversations that we have are about really risk tolerance and risk posture. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, hey, I want to press the green secure button because I mean, come on, guys, we, we've seen the press where you, when you've got these major corporations, you know, Fortune 100 corporations getting hacked, it's not like they don't have millions of dollars to, to you know, invest in. Exactly. IT. So, yeah. I, you know, I tell people all the time, look, I could spend your entire IT budget on security alone and still couldn't promise you that you were 100 percent safe. And, right. and so what we look for is what is that happy medium so that, um, you know, you're investing the right amount of money. We're taking care of those things that are, you know, obvious issues and vulnerabilities that we just don't want to have out there. And then, you know, what is the appropriate level of risk and what, you know, as a business can you tolerate? And that changes for, you know, if you're a healthcare organization, your tolerance is, is much lower than if you, you know, sold tires, right? So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody's data is important to them, right? I always... People ask me that question all the time. Well, Don, who really wants my data? And the answer is you. You want it. I mean, if if um, if someone were to to you know hold your your data ransom and and you couldn't operate your business, that you know the cost is is phenomenal. So yeah. uh, I would say that uh, you know that by far is the the one thing that we have to deal with on a regular basis. Got it. So are you public private? What's your uh, what's your status there? Great, man. Good question. You're asking such good questions, Carol. <laughs> You're good at this, Carol. We haven't even gotten started. <laughs> I know, right? So, um, yeah. So we are privately held. Um, we actually uh, back in November. I, I always say that I've I've got the best of both worlds. General Informatics is a 20 year old company. Uh, the founder Mohit Beach, who was an, an incredible engineer, is still on mm-hmm. our board. Um, he ran this company for 20 years and. And um, a company out of Dallas, a private equity company out of Dallas called Rosewood uh, Private Equity, invested in the company in November and said, hey, we're, we're looking to use this okay. as a platform and scale the business. And um, they did a national search and they kept coming up with my name. I said, man, you guys need to ch- check your search algorithm. So, <laughs> so but I, I interviewed for the job and, and it really was a great opportunity for mm-hmm. me. I've been in this industry for 30 years. Right. Um, I've grown uh, managed service companies in the past and and done a, a really good job working with some phenomenal people. Mm-hmm. So learned a lot along the way and um, started back in November. And man, it's just been, it's been a blast. And we already started to kind of move out of the state of Louisiana. We just opened a location in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. Um, and we are looking at Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, et cetera. So pretty aggressive 
uh, growth strategy for us over the next three years. And man, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be That's fun. great. And, and you just sort of segued right into uh, what I wanted to ask you next was to talk a little bit about your journey uh, to this, because, you know, if you, if, if you look back at your career, um, you know, you spent, uh, what, 15 years with Vista Information Systems and yeah. you, you know, ultimately ended up as their CEO, went off to uh, TechLinks, ended up your career there as president, had a couple of, you know, shorter stints uh, in between and then, and then, you know, have been, have been with General Informatics as their CEO. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that journey to where you are. What had you what it was about general informatics that had you say, yeah, this is what I want to do and how your past career has prepared you for what you're doing currently. Oh man. I'll, I'll a lot of questions. Oh yeah. But, but in one, I love them. So I'll, I'll give you the reader's digest version as far as historically, I was a management major, graduated in 1989 right? and decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, I know I won't be able to afford a mainframe if I'm a startup company, so I should go learn about this new thing called the personal computer. So that was like, that was how I actually got in IT. I didn't even, I didn't even think that I was going to um, be in systems integration. I just wanted to learn a little bit about the personal computer. But I started in 1990 in IT. I did that for about three years. And at the ripe old age of 23, I decided, well, I know everything I need to know to go open my own company. So Vista Information System was founded in 1993. We were a typical value-added reseller systems integrator, which basically okay. back in the day, what that meant was I would sell you a server, come install it and hand you the keys and go back and do it again. Right. So right. Um, as uh, as interesting as that business was, it was really easy back in the day, you know, and that's, there's not a whole lot of that going on now. But um, as we continue to grow that company over time, um, we recognized that our market was really changing the way that they wanted to consume mm-hmm. IT services. So we started to convert Lock, Stock and Barrel in 2004 to a managed services pro- provider. Mm-hmm. And really, it's a different approach, right? It's more about instead of selling someone IT services because they have their own IT organization, it's, it's more about outsourcing all those services to us and allowing us to maintain, manage it. So you can you know, focus on being an architect or a construction company or whatever it is that you mm-hmm. do. So um, we did that till about 2008, started getting quite a lot of um, attention from private equity, a, a private equity co- company called Symmetric Capital invested in my company and a company called TechLink. So we merged those two companies together. Got and it. so in 2008, I became the VP of sales for TechLinks and stayed there for 11 years. And we sold that company to another private equity company called okay. Amlico. Um, back in 2016, 2015, sorry. And um, I eventually became the chief operations officer and then the president of TechLink. So um, my journey was really interesting. I was a CEO for 15 years, was, you know, an owner operator, worked for myself. And I thought, okay, you know, I wonder what it's going to be like, you know, kind of combining these two organizations. And mm-hmm. man, we, we had a phenomenal team uh, from 2008 all the way through to 2018, we right. actually transacted in 2018. We sold the company to a strategic uh, buyer called Seaspire. And Seaspire's out of Jackson, Mississippi. They're a wireless provider. They offer um, home services as well, like internet and television, et cetera. Got it. But had another division of their company that was managed services. And they rolled that company underneath us. So we were 
man, by the time we had transacted, we were about a $200 million company and about 400 employees. So it was a, it was a wild ride considering, you know, I started that company in 93 with me and, and, and my wife on the kitchen table. So, wow. was, so yeah. for all intents and purposes, you were at the same company for over 25 years. That's exactly right. And, and when, I, when I left Ceasefire, it was a really interesting, it, you know, day I went and talked to the CEO and I said, Hey man, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. You know, I, I'm, I think it's best for me to move on. And, and, and there's a guy in the organization that's better suited to do my job than I am. And I'm not doing these, you know, my, our team any favors by being here. And it's time for me to go build something new again. And, and so, um, cause I, for me, it was, you know, I, I, I'm big on fulfillment. Um, and I just didn't feel like I was being fulfilled running an organization that size. I wanted to get back into kind of that biz dev and, and, and growing a, a, a company. So, um, it was a good move for me. I had a quick stint for a couple of years right. at, at a company called IBML. We're, we're, we weren't an IT provider, but we were in technology. Um, they were an international company or they are an international company. And that taught me a lot. I, I, I needed to have a little bit of a break from just the IT world mm-hmm. and see what other organizations were doing and how they were doing it and, and learned a lot. I was a chief operations officer there. So right. Pretty much everything except finance and um, HR reported to me. Mm-hmm. So I ran their sales team, uh, ran their ops, ran IT, um, mm-hmm. and had a, a really good time working with uh, the leadership team over there. Mm-hmm. And then I got recruited for GI. And to answer your question about you know what intrigued me, one it was it was back to kind of business development, right? It's a twenty year old company. Um, we had at the time when they recruited me, we had about 50 folks. And I thought, man, that would be great. I'd love to have the opportunity to coach and teach and, and mm-hmm. win the opportunity to lead, you know, this group into this, this kind of new world of, of hyper growth. And, um, you know, Pamela, excuse me, uh, Rosewood was very clear that they wanted to use this company as a platform company. So I looked at the business very critically, like, can it truly be a platform? Mm-hmm. Is service delivery model such that we can scale it and move it um, to other geographies and, and grow that organization. And so for about, I guess, about four or five weeks, I was looking at the business with a very critical eye, much like, you know, my prospects do. So um, so I, as I continue to check the boxes and go, wow, this is really, you know, they're doing this incredibly well. And a lot of my expertise and, and areas where I've you know, been able to learn quite a bit from some great leaders. Um, it, it, it fit really, really well. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it made a lot of sense. I, I, I really enjoyed, you know, it's only been eight months, nine months, but heck we've, um, we've grown, uh, the revenue by about 20%. We've made one acquisition already. We've got about four planned mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. And if we can get that done, man, I'll say, okay, you know, FY 2021 was a success and, mm-hmm. and we'll just continue to do that and, and, and put ourselves in the best position to be successful. Um, you know, we're not a build it and they will come kind of company. We're, we're just like any business development company. You spend money when you can and you try to find and be opportunistic and grow either through acquisition or organically. We, we organically opened Birmingham, Alabama. I bet, you know, I was in Birmingham for 27 years, but I'm originally from Louisiana. So right. it's, it's a great mix. And so it made sense for us to open a, a location in Birmingham. And while mm-hmm. we have a couple of acquisitions that we're looking at uh, in the state of Alabama, we, we opened June 1 and, and started 
you know, closing business right away. So it's been, it's been awesome. That's great. So you said when you joined, there were about 50 employees. Did I get it correctly? Okay. Where are you now? Uh, In eight months, we're at 74. Okay, good. And I would say by the end of the year, if we do all the acquisitions, we'll probably be about 150. We'll probably be double the size we are today. Okay. Um, And what were your revenues when you joined and where are you now? Um, Since we're privately held, I can't go into that uh, specifically, but I can give you some ranges. Right. Um, you know, what I would expect is that our run rate, run rate for FY 2021 will be around $20 million. Okay. FY 22, we'll, we'll double it. We'll be closer to 50. Fantastic. So um, I want to I want to step back here for just a second, um, you know, because you talked about when when the tech tech links merged or was acquired, acquired Vista, your your company that you started. Yeah. Um, about how great the team was and so on and so forth. What did you find to be your biggest challenge? Because this a very common thing among companies that are acquired or who acquire other companies are being able to get the, the cultures to fit, align the companies, you know, with, with strategy and, and, and so on and so forth. What did you find to be your biggest challenges when that happened? Well, first of all, I had to stop stepping on everybody's toes. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, so TechLinks was was about twice the size of my of my company. Okay. And and to be fair, I'm an ops guy. So my my degree is in management. Yeah. I, my my master's degree. I, my whole you know final paper was on you know management frameworks and how mm-hmm. you efficiencies at scale. So. I'm very operationally oriented and, you know, I was so excited to get to TechLinks because I wanted to see the secret because they were twice as big as me. Right. Yeah. And I got there and I was like, they don't know what the heck they're doing either. <laughs> so, so it was very much uh, similar in that we were a fast growing company that just happened to have more decimals, you know, behind the revenue, the revenue numbers right. and as well, the expense numbers. Um, and I was behaving like I was that owner operator of a small business. And so I was often, you know, stepping out of the uh, area of responsibility that I had, which was sales. And so I'll tell a quick story. So I went to um, Huntsville, Alabama, and I, probably the third week we had just acquired somebody. And there were some things that the engineers were doing that they were like, man, this is broken. I'm like, all right, change that, do this, but y'all need to do this over here. And man, I was so excited. I left there and I'm like, man, I did a good job. I'm feeling really good. And my boss, the CEO, Stuart Rayburn, who was the founder of TechLinks, calls me. He's like, hey, man, did you just leave Huntsville? I was like, yeah. And I was like, he heard. Yeah, he heard how good I did. And he's about, he's about to tell me. He's like, hey, man, all those changes, none of those people report to you. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. They don't. And he's like, I said, you want me to go back and put it all back the way it was? He's like, no, it needed to happen. And I appreciate, I appreciate that you are being aggressive and you're getting things done, but you need to go call their boss and let them know what you did mm-hmm. and understand that, you know, he may not take that too well. That's right. And so it, it was, it took me about a year to really figure out that, wow, I have a team and I can, I can depend on people um, to, to do that. And what I should have done was, you know, given Neil a call and said, Hey, Neil, man, um, there's some issues over here. I, I'm happy to dig in if you want me to help. 
and and, and handled it a, a much different way. And so I had to I had to slow down to go faster. I know that you know people have said that cliche before, but I had to slow down and really think about things. And and um, that was probably the biggest challenge for me. And then later, it was just you know I spent a lot of time trying to prove that I was worthy of being in the in the position that I was in. And and it came off a bit egotistical. And thank goodness, Stuart kind of told me he's like, hey man, I don't need to hear about how good you are. I can see how good you are. Stop mm-hmm. telling. And so I had to really kind of change the way that I was doing things because it was easy for me to feel fulfilled and good about what I was doing when it was mine because the only person that needed to know was me. And now I'm in this other business where there's a board and there's multiple people and I'm a competitive guy, right? I'm a type A, you know, driven kind of dude. So, you know, somebody's not showing me the scoreboard. I want to know how I win. <laughs> so I'm like, Hey, am I winning? <laughs> so, um, but no, it, it, it took a lot for me to get used to it. And then once I settled down and, and I always say, I just started doing what my mother taught me to do, which is, you know, love people first and make sure that, that you put them in the best position to be successful and everything else will take care of itself. Hold them accountable and be accountable, but mm-hmm. love you know, and if, if, if part of loving them is to help them find a job somewhere else, that's what we have to do. That's our responsibilities as leaders, as, you know, as, as members of the leadership team of, of a company that you're growing. Right. And so I learned a lot, you know, from doing it the wrong way, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what is, what is, uh, you know, every salesperson listening to this, Uh, And there'll be other people that would know this, but certainly every salesperson knows the answer to, do you learn more from your successes or your failures? Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. You know, and and it's really great. I think, you know, I've spent almost 30 years working with, you know, companies across the board, but my heart and where most of that business is, his lies was with small companies and startups. Yeah. And I'd say one one of, there's many things that they have in common, but one of... I'd say one of the biggest common denominators in that area are young founders such as yourself who kind of you know stumbled into something and built it. Yeah. And you know never got the coaching and training on how to actually be a fantastic leader. Yes. Right? No, I, I and that's what I'm hearing when you know when when you talk about stepping on other people's toes, yeah. right? No, I, I and I see it to this day because a lot of the companies that we acquire are founder-led companies. And mm-hmm. so you know, you have to understand the culture and what their role is in, inside their organization. Because a lot of times right. those guys have successfully put themselves out of a job, so to speak. So mm-hmm. they've got great people and, and they depend on those people. A lot of times the guy's running around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to right. get everything done. And so you mm-hmm. have to evaluate what that looks like and then what that looks like post-transaction. Is the, right. is the leader going to come in and be a part of the, the larger team? And how is that going to work with that team? And so um, that's an interesting, you know, we bought nine companies when I was with TechLinks and I was in charge of all the integration. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's funny, you know, I was in charge of the integration because I'm an ops guy, right? I'm this, you know, I became the COO. So he needs to know about all the operational things that we need to do. You really should be a psych major because <laughs> the psychology of that integration piece is probably more important than the workflow honestly, because um, that every company has its own unique um, culture. And right. what we found in, in very quickly 
And I, I believe the same will hold true uh, with general informatics is, you know, we're not going to force anyone's specific culture down their, their throat, right. but we are going to hold you accountable to our core values. Right. So, you know, as long as we are, our core right. values are the same, mm-hmm. then, you know, where you go eat barbecue is up to you. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, good barbecue joints down, down where you are in the South. That's exactly absolutely. right. Absolutely. And, and everybody has their own sort of tastes on what they like better. And that's a really, really great point because, um, you know, and, and I, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't agree with every, you know, you need to be a psych major. I think you need to be um, either be a great coach. Uh, you need to be really insightful. And one, and, you know, and, and one of the ways is to really, you know, look at your leadership, look at your people and look at the the different personalities among them. And there are ways to do that, of course. Yeah. Um, but by doing that, and this is just going into, I think, a little deeper than when than in what you were talking about, it allows you, you know, you've got a, a particular way of leading and a subordinate has a particular way about doing their job or leading if they're in a leadership role. And if and if that doesn't match, you need to figure out a way to enable that person to be the leader that you need without pissing them off, so to speak. Right. No, and making them do it in your way, because, right. you know, to your point, everybody likes a different barbecue joint. Right. And ultimately, if there's a shared vision and everybody's aligned with that vision for your for the company and for your strategy, that's the most important thing. You know, to your point, you know, if this isn't a fit, then, you know, I can help you find something else. And that's OK. Yeah. Carol, right? You're pretty, man, you're pretty speaking the truth. It's so, yeah. I've seen it happen so many yeah. times where even, even from the other side where they're saying, Hey, I want to do this more like you do this. I'm like, look, let's talk about why you want right. to do that. Like if you're doing that just to impress me, that's not a good idea. Especially if that, this is not how you do it. I want you, I, it's my job as the CEO of the company to put you in your highest and best use. And right. however you get there, is really on you. Now, if some of the things that I do, you see that could be helpful, by all means, you know, we'll talk about it. We'll go through that that coaching process. But I, I tell people all the time, I'm not going to tell you how to run your department. If, yeah. if I'm going to hold you accountable to get there and we're going to have certain KPIs and measurements, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm a student of business. So, you know, we're going to run the company in a framework that makes sense. That's completely communicated to the entire organization. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows what our strategic vision is mm-hmm. and, and we're going to continue to openly and transparently communicate. And um, that's one of the things that I chose when I became president of TechLinks. I, I, one of the things that we were doing at that time was we were in, we were talking about at some point in the next two years, our private equity company was going to put us up for sale. And I was like, right. I, I'm telling everybody that. And my boss who's CEO said, you're going to do this the hard way. I'm just letting you know. And he let me do it, which first of all, kudos to him. And he was an amazing leader and I learned a ton from him. Good. He just said, this is going to be harder doing it this way because you're going to have to field it, n- numerous questions along the way. And I said, I'd rather field numerous questions along the way than the million I'm going to get if we don't tell them. And then we yeah. show up one day and say, hey, we sold the company. Yep. Yep. So it, and it, again, neither one of those are wrong. It's right. just- it's just, you know, a different approach. And mm-hmm. as long as you understand what is entailed in that approach, then it's fine. 
you know? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. You know, neither is wrong. I mean, I, I look at it as not, not, not even right or wrong, but, but, you know, what's the most effective strategy, right? Right. And, and, and you could be incorrect in what the most effective strategy is. Right. I happen to think that transparency is super important. And, you know, to his point, it's going to give you more work, but think about it on the back end, right? By the time, by the time you're on the 10 yard line. Yeah. And if you haven't told anybody and then everybody's like, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? Right. Why didn't you tell us this was going to happen? Um, and, you know, I, I, there's different schools of thoughts on this, but I've talked to so many people and, and ultimately transparency seems to win out over keeping your mouth shut. I, I look I totally, and more, more often than not. I totally, and here's the thing that, I, you know, again, I share with my leadership team all the time. I always say, Hey, who knows the most about our customers? It's the people in the field. The ones That's right. Our customers, right. If they think we know everything, right. We, we're not transparent when we make a mistake. Mm-hmm. If they think we know everything, they're never going to tell us anything. That's right. And so the further we get away from our customer base, the harder it is for us to make strategic decisions that make sense. And so I tell people all the time, man, I'm going to be transparent when we win. I'm going to be transparent mm-hmm. when we lose. And if I was part of the reason why we lost, which m- most of the time it is, I'm going to be transparent about that and say, hey, it's my job to get better. I'm going to get better. And right. at the end of the day, I'm accountable. You know, we just we just got back from Dallas. We had our board meeting, you know, and man, we go through everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm accountable for everything that happens in that organization, good, better, and different. Right. And so I want my team to know, hey, here's what I don't think we did well. And let me tell you what my role is to in, in, in fixing that and and then be completely transparent about mm-hmm. that. And, and I've been that way literally since I started business and, you know, when I was 23 years old. Sure. It, sometimes it's a little bit harder to do when you've got multiple people that you depend on. But when, like I said, when I became the president, I told I told Jim, Ackerhelm, who was the CEO, I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to be just out there and transparent and let let people ask me questions. I had something that we used to call one one day I heard something at the at the water cooler and it was just bad. It was wrong information. Like I was like, hey, where'd you hear that? Oh, well, so and so told me this. And I'm like, well, okay, that's wrong. And so I went to I was walking past the training room that we have. And I told the lady in marketing, like, hey, at two thirty, I'm going to be in the training room. And just send an email to everybody and let them know that I'm just there to answer whatever questions they have. Mm-hmm. So about an hour later, I walked past the training room. There's this big sign that says coffee and conversations with Don Monastery. I was like, we had to brand it. I mean, and yeah. so I thought there was going to be like five people there and I was going to be there with a, a marker on a, a whiteboard. No, there were 63 people who had come to that meeting with three hours notice and I just said, hey, guys, the rules are there are no rules. Whatever you want to ask me, I'm man enough to tell you. So just ask me. And we, we've, I've done that ever since because it really is helpful to get, mm-hmm. you know, find out what people are concerned about. Find out what yeah. they want to know about. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I refer to that in, at a high level as a culture of feedback, right? And, and the difference is, and I'm, I'm really curious as to what the culture of general informatics was, prior to you joining last fall and, and if that's changed at all. Yeah. So it's, I would, yes, it has. (laughs) Um, So Mo engineer, amazing guy. Mm -hmm. And I would say that 
general informatics is not much different than any other engineering led company. Right. Um, and that is incredible technology. Mm -hmm. Sales and marketing is a necessary evil. <laughs> um, oh, boy, amen yeah. to that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so when I got there, and 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 I started thinking about growth, their mentality was very, "Hey, small business, penny pinch. Make sure that we extract every stinking you know piece of value out of the dime we just spent, and probably don't spend it, right?" And and so when you change that mindset into a growth mode, it took a while for our leadership team to recognize, hey, guys, we're going to spend money and it's OK. We're going to be fiscally responsible and we're going to make sure that we track the outcome of that money. But we're also going to beef up our marketing team, beef up our sales team and really train on what that whole sales process needs to look like, what that cadence needs to look like. And we're going to hold everybody accountable. Mm -hmm. And so. It, it changed a bit in that we still have the same core values, can do, will do attitude, take care of our clients with passion. All of those things are still in place. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that we get there is a little bit different. And it is tweaking the, the you know, the overall culture um, because it, it, it's not all up to Mo anymore, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, we're distributing decisions down into middle tier management. And that wasn't, that didn't happen before. Right. Have you, from the time you joined, did, what kind of turnover did you have? Which is another very commonality when either a new CEO comes in or, you know, when, when a company's acquired and that happens. In both of these cases happened for, for general informatics. They were acquired by a PE firm and there's a new CEO. Yeah. So, uh, very limited. Um, we we may have lost two people. Um, wow! And and since since I've been here, um, I want to that, that's fair. Uh, one one you know just didn't want to meet the standard, and mm -hmm. I wasn't. I just didn't have the patience to deal with it. And and um, and incidentally, I'll share with you. You know this this particular gentleman. You know just could not get it together. And, and when I let him go, I told him, I said, Hey man, I'm, I'm concerned about you because you have a seven year old daughter and she deserves you to be on point when you go to work. And so I want to help you find your next job and I want to do what I can to make sure you're okay. I said in 90 days, can I call you and just check on you? And he was like, can I get my job back? I'm like, probably not. <laughs> you know, I don't, unless you have some major change in life, you know, I said, but I'm really concerned about, about your daughter and, uh, and you, I said, and I, I think he, he kind of was blown away when I called him and he yeah. was like, man, I didn't think you were going to do this. And I was like, well, how are you doing? And he says, actually, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. I found a place that, that I'm, you know, he's like, I'm not doing what I was doing and I'm probably not making as much money as I was. And I just told him, I was like, man, look, at some point in, in our life, we're told, Hey, that's not the way we need to be behaving. Mm -hmm. And all I will tell you is continue to call me and continue to talk to me. And, and I just want to make sure that you and your daughter are okay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that meant a lot to him and it meant a lot to me because you yeah. don't, I tell people all the time, I don't have to be mad at somebody to let them go. I have to make sure that I'm putting them in the highest and best use, whether that's inside my company or out. That's right. Very you smart. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so we, we, with our people set clear criteria to be successful and manage to the criteria that allows me to be friends. That allows me to be, you know, you know, I tell, I tell people I could manage my family. I don't care. Cause I set clear criteria to be successful. That's it. 
here's what you need to do to be successful. And we're going to manage to that criteria. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to love on you the whole way. So if, if you're not meeting the criteria, the next meeting is, hey, what can I do to help us get there? Because we're not making it. And if by the next meeting, it becomes clear that we've done all that we need to do, either something's wrong with the criteria or something's wrong, wrong with the worker. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you continue to be diligent in that process, it solves itself. Mm-hmm. That's really fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about how you find your prospects, customers, and what that journey looks like from prospect to customer. How long, you know, what's the sales cycle? How many meetings do they have? That's good. Yeah, good question. So, um, again, one of the things that I changed when I got here was the entire sales process and, and our overall cadence. And so let me talk real tactical first, and then I'll talk a little bit more um, kind of my thesis and how we approach sales in general. So tactical, tactically speaking, um, we have what we call COI meetings. And so each one of our um, BDMs, which is business development managers, mm-hmm. they have to have six COI meetings a week. So centers of influence, and that might be influence in an industry, that might be influence in a geography, that might yeah. be whatever that is, you need to be having those meetings on a regular basis. And I tell mm-hmm. them, if you're, if, you're, if you're not spending a bunch of money for lunch, I'm going to ask you why you're not spending more money. And that was, that was a huge change, right? <laughs> they were like, wait, I get to spend money. Yes, you do. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to be talking. Spend money to make money. That's right. You got to be talking to people who are influential right. in the market. And you need to understand quickly how you become a center of influence for others. Yeah. And I said, so you need to be evaluating as you're interviewing people to be in your center of influence um, team. Then you have to have three FTAs or first time appointments every single week. And I told them, guys, you're not going to get these to, until you start doing your six COI meetings. And if you're not cold calling about 150 folks a day, you're probably not going to get to the six. You're probably not going to get. And I told them, if you just do that for six months, you'll never have to do it again. And you don't. If you can, if you can call, and to be fair, if you can call 200 people a week, you do that for six months, you'll never have any problem getting six COI meetings and, and three FTAs. And so that's the tactical cadence that we run as a mm-hmm. BDM. More importantly, I preach that we have to add value from prospect to invoice. Right. Regardless of whether or not they're even doing business with that's us. That's exactly right. Very good. And, yeah. and so I tell them, guys, I want to bring value to customers. And we have programs that we pay for that have nothing to do with IT. That if you have a prospect that you think could use an assessment in their business that looks at just operational maturity, I have a company that goes out there and does that and we pay for it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we do that is because I want to be a good steward of the community that we're in, because if I continue to to increase the operational maturity of the businesses around us, they're more suited to outsource their IT. And so to me, I'm paying it forward by saying, Hey, if you're if you're really operationally immature and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, outsourcing your IT is difficult. Right. That's really really hard. If you've got a very mature change management process, man, you can outsource your IT tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, there's a lot of intrinsic value that comes with adding value from the start to finish. And what you'll find is I I allow our BDMs to kind of liberate themselves from just 
constantly talking about GI, I tell them and, and I train them on building their personal brand mm-hmm. and explaining to them how, hey, don't just market GI, market you, because you'll, you'll keep you for the rest of your life. You know, you may not be at GI in six months. I, I don't, I want that for you, but I want to make sure that you're working on you because if you do and you do build your own personal brand, adding value from prospect to close is super easy. And so we teach these guys and, and I've got some young aggressive sales guys that I love. They're super competitive. And, and, you know, when I started teaching, uh, I, I told one guy, I said, Hey man, you need to start blogging. He was like, Don, I've never written before. I'm like, okay, <laughs> keep, keep doing nothing then. And, and you'll continue to get the same uh-huh. mediocre outcome that everybody else gets. And he was like, all right, teach me. And so now like he, he's an amazing writer. The first, the first one he did, he sent me and I was like, dude, I'm on the edge of my seat. Like how, what do you mean you've never written before? And so, um, mm-hmm. I think honestly, Carol, we're kind of next level. We're doing it a lot different and I'm getting a lot of phone calls from people even around, you know, Baton Rouge in Birmingham, they're like, hey, mm-hmm. tell me about what your sales folks are doing because yeah. they're getting out in the market. You know, it's all organic, it seems. And, and it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of guerrilla marketing. And, and yeah. more importantly, it's really more about just becoming value for, for people and, and really being good stewards of the community because mm-hmm. all that other stuff just happens as a result. Right. Yeah. That's so great that you're pointing that out. Do you do any inbound marketing or is it all, you know, outbound? Uh, we do. And, and, you know, our program, I, I would, I would suggest to you that it's one of the, the areas that we're the least mature in. Um, we, we will probably uh, continue to outsource our marketing, both, both inbound and outbound mm-hmm. for a while, but at some point we'll pull that back in house. Um, I, I had to get, you know, when I look at my, um, you know, first 90 days and then after that, what, what are the priorities? I had to make sure that we were built for scale from an operational perspective, because once we start adding, you know, making acquisitions where we're bringing 60, 70, 80 people on at a time, I'm going to have opportunities to really get folks who, who either are very qualified in marketing, mm-hmm. um, and, and sales or, find other opportunities um, to either to, to outsource. So um, I would say it's one of the least mature things we do from a, from a, what, what I would call a marketing program and what I'm used to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we just, that's something that we'll have to do more of. So outbound yeah. inbound is, is, is all part of the plan, but um, how good we are at it yet. I don't know for sure. Got it. <laughs> um and, and your employee base has grown by about 50% since you joined. Has that been through, you mentioned an acquisition, or has that been through going out and hiring people? And and uh, on the latter, if you've been going out, and how, how have you gone about finding people? Yeah, so um, it's actually more hiring today. It'll probably be more acquisition, you know, in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that we, you know, prospected, we, we, we use a number of recruiting folks, but honestly, it's more word of mouth and, and mm-hmm. just having been in this industry for as long as I have been, um, you know, especially like in Birmingham, we didn't have to recruit. We had people calling us going, Hey, we, we know what you're doing. We love what you're doing. Can we be a part of it? Right. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult here in Baton Rouge. And look, part of our, our, our growth thesis is that we're going to be in tier two, tier three cities. We're not, you know, I'm going to surround Atlanta before I go into Atlanta. I'm going to surround 
Nashville before I go into Nashville. Sure. It's just easier to market. It's easier to, to find the talent because it's fairly limited. Yes. And because we have the resources, we can come in and say, Hey, you know, if you're looking for a change, you're looking for fulfillment and you want to get paid really well, mm -hmm. you know, call me, let me know. So that's fantastic. Um, I want to, I want to uh, pivot, pivot a little bit. Um, you've written some books on really, uh, I'd say the overarching theme is personal and professional development. Yep. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and what the impetus behind all that has been. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have a series of books. There's three books. It's called the Enhanced Series. Um, the first book was Enhanced Life Performance. And really the premise behind Enhanced Life Performance is, you know, putting yourself in alignment with either the universe or the Holy Spirit and doing what you're called to do as opposed to what, you know, you were educated to do, right? And, um, and, it, and when you find that alignment, how do you put yourself in a position to where you can execute at a higher level than what most people can? And so, the, the book is somewhat spiritual. I'm, I, I always say I'm a spiritual guy. I wouldn't consider myself a religious guy, mm -hmm. um, but I'm a spiritual guy. And I really, I spend a lot of time listening uh, mm -hmm. for me to, you know, for me, it's God. I, I don't, I don't like push my, you know, spirituality or, or, or belief system on anybody else. I, I just say, look, this earth, this world is talking to you. Just listen, listen more. And you'll get some guidance if you really pay attention and you, and you, and you stay quiet long enough, which is hard for an Italian guy, right? Just stay quiet long enough to listen. Um, and then enhance executive performances. Okay, now my life is a little bit better. I'm, I'm feeling really fulfilled in kind of these very core areas of my life. How do I then move that into being an executive? Mm -hmm. And the third is enhance corporate performance, which is, all right, now I've got a group of executives that are kicking butt and taking names. You know, how do I build a management framework that will take advantage of that? and then put everybody on the same trajectory mm -hmm. so that we are communicating transparently. We are, you know, utilizing the right measuring sticks to, to decide whether or not we're being successful. Mm -hmm. So um, it is a lot about uh, personal development, especially enhanced life. Um, it is a lot about, you know, how, what we are expected to do. Um, you know, I'll tell you when I was, I mentioned about kind of going through that ego phase where I was more, I was more focused on being the man as opposed to a man and being responsible and being mm -hmm. the kind of person that I needed to be as a father, as a, as a husband, you know, mm -hmm. as a friend, as a business colleague. And so when I stopped and slowed down long enough to listen, I started to recognize, wow, I've kind of gotten away from what my mom told me I should be doing. And so, um, uh, the, the way that it started, so I, 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 I love to write, but I didn't ever think I was going to publish. And I was coaching a guy on my leadership team and he's like, I just want to do what you do, Don. I'm like, uh, man, I don't know if you want to do what I do. That's like, that's a little bit whacked out and crazy. And my discipline is, you know, I'm, I'm a very disciplined person. Um, you know, my day starts the same way every single day. I wake up at four o'clock. I read for 15 minutes. I write for 15 minutes. I work for 30 minutes. I work out for an hour and a half and then I go to work. So I've got four hours invested in the day before I make it to, to you know, my desk at 730. Right, so, right. Um, but he asked me, Hey, do you have any of this written down? And it, cause he's like, I want to try to do as much of it as I can. And I tried to, I tried to write it down. Nothing. I couldn't, it just wasn't coming. I was like, Oh, why can I not do this? And, um, my son, my oldest son, who was going into college, brilliant kid, made a 33 on his ACT, you know, just, just ridiculously brilliant, but he's my kid. 
which means he's horribly unorganized. And, you know, the, this guy will look for his keys for an hour, right? You know, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And so he said, dad, you know, why don't you teach me how you do it? You seem really, you seem really organized. I'm like, son, I'm just as organized. I'm, I'm just as organized as you are, which is I'm not. I just force myself into this process right. so that I can execute at the level that I want to execute at. He said, hey, do you have any of this written down? And I was like, you're the second person in the last four months that's asked me that. It's a and sign. So my, whole, my whole reason to do it, my why changed. And I thought, I just, I'm not going to write a book to publish. I'm not going to write a book for everybody to read. I'm not going to write a book to help everybody. I'm going to write a book for my kids. Yeah. And so um, it became a journey and I, re- I wrote every day for 15 minutes and I've been doing that for the last six years. Yeah, and, that's that's awesome. It really yeah. is. Um, writing a book is hard, especially if you do it yourself rather than hiring a ghostwriter, which is a lot easier. <laughs> uh, the editing process is by far, it's yeah. taught me a lot about my personality, which is I have zero patience. <laughs> right. You have to listen. You, you really have to... Uh, and you found, I assume you hired an editor. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. Right. And, and well, you still, and you know, you still have to come back and, and go through it. I, I can't, of course. I, the, the, the thing that I didn't expect was Carol, I was so tired of reading my book. I was like, I was like, yes, oh, I know it's hard, God. isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God. And that's, yeah. it's like, and so my wife was like, well, is it good? I'm like, I don't know anymore. Yeah. I can't good. I yeah. I'm like, I need you to read it and tell me mm-hmm. if it's good. And so, um, but they've been kind of the, the, the lead into a training course that I give. In fact, I'm doing it in Birmingham on July the 28th and here in Baton Rouge on the August the 19th. And it's basically a day of training of, of how I set up enhanced life performance and kind of the, the, what I call the core areas of life fulfillment you know, we as humans go through this process of wanting to be fulfilled in some very key areas in our life. And generally speaking, we're all walking around trying to leave a legacy, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. And in my research, you'll appreciate this. In my research, I found out that um, I asked 50 women and 50 men who were executives and asked, who are you leaving a legacy for? (laughs) And, and majority of the women said, I'm leaving a legacy for my family. I want my right. family to know that mm-hmm. I did everything I could to put them in the best position. Uh, the men said, I'm leaving a legacy for everybody, which means we're all egotistical, <laughs> you know, crazy fools, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult to do that. And so one of the concepts in the book that I mentioned is that I don't wake up in the morning trying to inspire people because that is not on me. That's on them, right? right? When you're inspired, that's a personal thing. So I always say, I just want to influence. I just want to do the best I can mm-hmm. to positively influence people in, in any phase of my life, whether I'm at home, at church, mm-hmm. at work, at, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. And, and I get to do that, you know, in the role that I'm in and have been for some time just being a part of leadership. And it's so fulfilling, Carol, that that I wanted to share it with people. And mm-hmm. and that's that's basically what, you know, the entire series is all about. That's that's really great. And I think, you know, where you're coming from is not in order to make money. It's in order to make a difference. Right. Right. And that's, you know, and that's, that's personally what drives me as well. And I think, you know, you've talked a lot about, um, 
um, you know, having, having six, um, uh, what did you call them? COIs? COIs. Yes. COIs. Center of influence. Right. Uh, centers of influence, um, a week right. and it's okay. You know, not everybody's going to become a customer. I mean, that's just the way it is. You're right. not going to close hundred percent of the people that you do business with. Maybe right. you'll close 30%, maybe you'll close 50%, whatever that is. And ultimately the goal is to give, 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 give. That's right. Right. People will, they're either going to come around to thinking, yeah, you know, this is probably somebody I should investigate really doing business with. But, you know, we now live in a world where we are bombarded. I know I am bombarded with email spam, LinkedIn spam, with people pitching you stuff that they do. Yes. I'm like, this is not how to sell. No, I don't, I don't understand. This is, I think, one of the worst things that has happened because of the internet, frankly. I, I agree. One of the very negative things that's come out of the internet. And that's a whole, that's a whole separate podcast. Yes. But <laughs> a lot of that'll be in my book that, that I'm just starting on that journey right now. Yeah. And, um, but ultimately that is not how to attract anybody's attention. Mm -hmm. I no. know it's not how to attract my attention. Look, I, I, I say I say to my sales team all the time, everybody likes to buy things. Nobody likes to be sold. That's yeah, that's of course, that's that's exactly correct. I love I mean, that. And, and, and so, you know, when they leave, they're like, well, we're salespeople. I'm like, no, you're really not. Mm -hmm. You're value providers. You mm -hmm. add value. If you can't add value, go get another job True. because because you're going to be dependent upon the product or the price. Yeah. Only. Only now product and price always comes in, right? You gotta, you gotta have those conversations, but trust me when I tell you, and, and, and I don't want to oversimplify it because a lot of people will say it's all about relationships. Again, relationships are very important, but I want a relationship that adds value to me and to others around me. Mm -hmm. And so when you find that kind of relationship, man, you know, that you don't talk about price. You don't talk, right. you know, that's you right. That's right. Up. Yeah. And so, you know, there are certain people who, if they called me and said, Hey man, you know, I just put out a new product. I think you'll like it. You want to try it? Yeah. I mean, you don't even ask what it costs. Right. Um, so look, it's, it's a lot of people I think would argue it, right. They would say, no, it's all about, you know, calling it's, it's all numbers. Mm -hmm. it's all, and I think it's, it's the entire approach. And if, right. you, if you put yourself at a different level and you, and you, Again, you work on your personal brand. You do those things that are atypical, like publish a book. Mm -hmm. You do those things like train on that book. And, and by the way, sell it for right over cost just so that you can influence the people that are in the room. Because guess what? All those people that I train every single year, one day they're probably going to be a customer. Because right. they want to do business with people that they feel like can add value to their life. And, and so it's not, it's not always about closing the deal. Mm -hmm. It's as much as people walking away going, hey, man, I, what you did for me is amazing. Made and by the way, I, I, call that, I call that a legacy impression. Yeah. I always think the, the crappy thing about, a, about leaving a legacy is you got to die to do it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, do, I have something called a legacy impression, which is, you know, in some way, whether they've said something to you or they've mm -hmm. done something that you've influenced or impacted a person's life. And I always write it down. If it's in an email, I'll print it and I put it in my wins box. And 
man, when I'm not feeling great and I feel like, man, I've had a rough day, I go back and I read all those times that I've had an opportunity to influence somebody. And man, it, it, you know, it'll power you through those tough days. Yeah. All right. So if somebody listening to this is saying, wow, I I live in that part of the country and, uh, or I don't live in that part of the country, but this is, sounds like a pretty cool company. He's, you know, Don Monastir sounds like a really pretty cool leader. Uh, I'd love to maybe work for this company. What should they do? So email me directly and I'll make it easy. Don M um, at G-E-N-I-N-F.com. Um, that's my email address. And you can also go to geninf.com and fill out the contact form. I get all of those because I, I want to know who's communicating with our company. Great. Um, and uh, I can also be found on alignment. It's A-L-L-Y-G-N-M-E-N-T.com, alignment.com, which is what I market all my books through. And the alignment is, you know, we're, we're trying to be an ally in life and in business. So, um, the both of those are, are ways you can get in touch with me. And um, look, we'd love to have you know anyone. Look, if you mention if you mention this podcast, we'll even give you a coupon code to, to get a discount uh, on the training. We typically charge uh, twelve hundred and fifty dollars a day uh, per three executives. If you send three executives and you mention the podcast, we'll do it for under three hundred bucks. So slick. Well, Don Monastir. CEO and president of General Informatics. This has really been an interesting conversation. Um, I loved hearing about the company, but you know, more specifically, how you're running it, your thoughts on leadership, and you know, being such a fan of leadership myself, it's really been a nice conversation. And I really want to thank you for spending spending this much time with me. Well, Carol, very thank generous you. of you. No, thank you. This is this has been fun, and it's obvious you know what you're doing because you ask incredibly good questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. All right, you have a great rest of your week. Will do. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com/podcast/apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.